Welcome to the Infinite Women podcast. I'm your host, Allison Tyra, and today I'm joined by Emily Sullivan, Assistant Curator of Contemporary International Art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, where she is working on the largest exhibition dedicated to Louise Bourgeois ever in Australia. So why don't we start with who is Louise Bourgeois? Louise was kind of viewed as this uh, kind of fierce art grandmother to many generations of, of artists from around the world. And I think the key thing that um, many local and contemporary artists today keep on saying to me is that Louise is the artist who went all the way. You know, she wasn't afraid to say the unsayable, especially when it came to topics, um, you know, such as the body or um or womanhood, or you know, her great subject or, or topic, particularly later on in life, uh, which was which was motherhood. When we're talking about the style of an artist, I'm always curious about what is the distinctive element or elements that tells you this is a Louise Bourgeois. I love the story that when people were viewing her her shows in the 80s, they'd walk into the room and think that it was a group show because there was just so much variety in materials and forms. Uh, you know, she would be working in, in wood and bronze, um, but found materials as well. When minimalism was all the rage in the 60s, she was, you know, returning to that great classical uh, medium of, of marble. Um, but, you know, there are, there are key kind of forms that you can identify with Louise's work. Of course, the, the, the beautiful spiders, the kind of looming figures of the spiders come to be synonymous with Louise, the kind of psychological structures known as the cells, which she made in the 80s and 90s. And then later on in life, of course, the, um, you know, the, the figurative kind of fabric uh, sculptures that she, she made from you know, her own clothes um, that she'd stored kind of over a lifetime. But I think you know, the thing I keep on coming back to with Louise is the, the kind of quality of reaction. You know, it's about the feeling you get when you see her work. I think that's probably the thing that you know, the connecting thread through um, through her, her work, her earliest works from the 40s uh, to those those textile works uh, that she made right up until the end uh, of her life at the age of 98. All right. Now, you mentioned spiders, which I don't know if I'm the only one whose attention got caught on that one a bit. Can you tell me about Maman? Yeah, so we are fortunate enough to have the iconic sculpture Mamon grace our forecourt out the front of the art gallery's south building. And the 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 spider was always an ode to to Louise's mother, but the this, you know, Mamon is a nine-meter tall sculpture and it's it's a looming figure, it's a fierce protecting figure, you know, it says so much about the nature of motherhood. Connected to that. The history of Louise's parents as tapestry uh, restorers. You know, her mother was uh, a repairer and a weaver, and I think Louise loved a metaphor. and And that image of the spider is, you know, something that draws from its own body to create, to build its own home. When you knock into a spider's web, it just goes about reweaving it again. There's a patience there. You know, she described the spider as soothing and patient and reliable, words that I wouldn't use to describe spiders, but, um, you know, she drew that connection. And so Maman really is the figure that looms in, in, loomed in her mind as a, a kind of psychological figure as well. There's a great quote um, by the film director Jane Campion, who's written in our book, for the exhibition and she says that the image of the vast female spider plays with the fear of women of their supposed unpredictability and their lack of rationality and desire to entrap and I love that image because it says so much about 
um, you know, the desire to care for, to protect, but also this not letting go of the mother. So this is more of a Charlotte's Web spider than, say, a J.R.R. Tolkien spider. Yes, although I think we are going to have a few cosplay, um, you know, minded people attending at the gallery. There are a few spiders in the show. So you have the, the Mamon figure outside. Uh, you have a more maternal a spider that kind of sits within the oeuvre of, of her cells. So it's a, it's, it has kind of tapestry elements, more autobiographical elements um, attached to it. And we, we describe it as a more maternal spider. There's you know, something slightly more, more um, welcoming and, and safe about, about the cell that sits within uh, or within its eight legs. There's also a spider called the crouching spider, which you'll find down in, in the dark corners of the tank downstairs. The exhibition is split across two spaces and those spaces start to play out the kind of dualities in Louise's work. And you see that with a lot of the forms where you might see one particular form in one material upstairs and it might, you know, years later be reworked in a different material downstairs. Okay, now we have to talk about the tank real mm. quick in this context because I was fortunate enough to see what I believe was the first exhibition um, in this massive underground, um, I believe it was an oil bunker, essentially, um, mm -hmm. that has recently been renovated and used as an art space. And when I went there, it had very creepy lighting, giant kind of terrifying in the dark sculptures. It was very intimidating as a space. So when you tell me that you've put spiders down there, <laughs> I have questions about the lighting this time around. Yeah, well, we we are definitely playing with with lighting and shadow in in really interesting ways with Louise's sculptures. I guess that's the key thing to say. You know, Louise Louise was a sculptor of many materials and and of various scales, and it really seemed like the perfect place to discover her works and to have a more intimate experience with her works as well. So upstairs in the the space we're conceiving of is the daytime space, which is more, you know, it's 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 white lit and uh, you know, it's more of a classical move and journey through Louise's work. Um, but in contrast, downstairs it is slightly darker. It's not as dark as the experience of, of Arjun Villarojas's um, kind of inaugural commission for the tank. Uh, there are dark corners. There are moments of bright lights, uh, moments of, of sound kind of reaching fever pitch. And, you know, there, there, there is a spider kind of looming in the corner uh, but there's a lot of warmth in the tank, you know, at the heart of the, the, heart of the space is a, a, a beautiful and iconic work called um, the Arch of Hysteria, which is a, a bronze uh, figurative kind of work in a gold patina. And that there's a beautiful warmth kind of glow that extends, I think, from, from that work right to the edges. The spider isn't going to jump out at you, you know. You can, you can see it from afar. You can see it from across the room. And it looks quite, quite beautiful, you know, the legs extending from the sea of columns that are, that are in the tank. And you can see the columns, you can see the patina of the tank, which you couldn't see, you know, with the, the inaugural commission with Adrian's uh, sculptures downstairs. And I really like that we've made that conscious choice to show the works in, in the context of the oil tank. You know, one, one artist described the space as a kind of archive of the 20th century. And in that sense, you know, it's a perfect pairing, I think, of Louise's works. She often used found materials um, and, and they do feel, you know, rather at home down there. So I'm hoping it's not going to be the, the scary experience you're, uh, you're fearing. <laughs> 
as long as you're prepared for the spiders, just know they're there. They're not going to hurt you. Warning. Yes. (laughs) Now, when we're talking about the fact that she did so many things, like she's worked in so many media and she's addressed so many topics. um, And you also referred to her as the grandmother. (laughs) She did have an incredibly long career. Like she lived to be almost a hundred and she was still producing work like in her nineties. So I guess what changed over time in terms of the evolution of her processes or the ideas that she was playing with? Yeah, I think, I mean, so much changed over time in terms of her environment and the dynamics of of the home. You know, Louise was a wife to uh, an art historian. She was a mother of three boys. So she was always making in the context of, of keeping a home and running a home as well. Uh, but that was particularly challenging, I think, in the in the early 40s when uh, she, you know, basically arrived from from Paris and you know, in such a short amount of time was you know, an artist, a mother, a partner in a new in a new place. Um, but as with all artists, you know, the, the work um, kind of changed and, and responded, you know, and was relative to the kinds of environments that she was in. So in her first home, you know, she's kind of working away on, on the rooftop, making these kind of tall and slender figurative works um, known as the personages. Uh, they're like totem-like sculptures that you'll encounter in one of the early rooms in, um, in the section called Day. And these works were all about, you know, her feelings of homesickness. And um, with Louise, it's good to think of homesickness not just in terms of her sentiments towards home France, but homesickness is a kind of universal feeling of, of kind of not feeling at one with the body and the mind and and these works express that really really beautifully uh, I think the other interesting thing to say is that you know Louise's major major exhibition a major retrospective at, at MoMA didn't come until 1982 you know this is 40 years after she started making it was 10 years after a group of artists and curators women artists and curators began campaigning to to MoMA and writing to MoMA to say, you know, we we really support and and suggest and recommend that you present a, a large scale exhibition of Louise's work. So that came in 1982, and you know, a lot of artists kind of would have rested after that, or they would have kind of pivoted into making, uh, you know, more kind of commercially viable art, but not Louise. It was, you know, a turning point for her, and and she started working more at scale um, with you know different kinds of materials she also started um she moved into a an old garment factory that became her studio in the beginning of the 80s so that was another key thing that helped her build and and work at scale Uh, and then you know the final the big final shift I would say came you know much later in life in the mid 90s when she kind of went to you know, her closets in, in her home and pulled down all of her old clothes of a lifetime, you know, clothes and, and fabrics that she hadn't used or, or touched, things that were in her wedding trousseau and started to organise them by colour, cut them up, special pieces were left whole and then she would create new new works from them, be them kind of figurative works. She made many fabric books. That was a moment again where she was working with at a scale relative to kind of what her body could manage. You know, this is a moment where she was, you know, leaving the house much less regularly and and working kind of at the scale of her her work desk in front of her. So the works and the materials changed a lot over time. I would say the the themes and the ideas that she was expressing 
I would say largely, you know, they, they were there from the beginning and she was still exploring them right up into the end of her life. You know, her one, the title of the exhibition, Has the Day Invaded the Night or Has the Night Invaded the Day, is, you know, a lovely hint uh, at the kind of searching in Louise's work, the searching to find kind of a piece or a, um, a kind of a catharsis from the act of making. For Louise, art making was, it was always a very active thing. She was always dealing with emotions of the present, even though she was often referring to her memories, she wasn't um, reflecting in a, a kind of passive way, but in a very active way to try and work through her emotions. And um, we see that with those early works, the personages, and then you see it with the later you know, figurative textiles that deal with themes of motherhood. So as mentioned earlier, has the day invaded the night or has the night invaded the day is the largest exhibition of her work in Australia, but it's also one of the most extensive dedicated to a woman artist, full stop, ever presented mm -hmm. in Australia. And you've got more than 150 works. So what was the thinking behind doing such a large scale presentation for one artist and why her? Look, these major kind of summer exhibition slots are usually reserved for the great male modern kind of artists. And, um, and that's great and important, but Louise is a different kind of master. And I think something that our, our new building, uh, which we only opened 12 months ago, Sydney Modern, uh, affords us was you know, the opportunity to present Louise's work in two very contrasting spaces and pre present large scale works. There's a work downstairs called Tucson, which is quite atypical of Louise and it's uh, kind of large-scale mechanised work where one tank kind of trundles in and out of another larger tank. You know, these kinds of works we would never have been able to display in our original building. So we're excited at the opportunity to present those larger works, but also the breadth of work. You know, you see a range of these kind of key uh, bodies of work, like the personages, like the cells, like the textiles, large suites of works on paper. So it was about the depth of work, the variety of materials, and importantly, two very different ways of experiencing Louise's work. You know, understanding, you know, the hearing that curatorial voice upstairs in day, walking through somewhat chronologically, and then descending downstairs to the tank where it's very much self-guided. Uh, you, you might hear Louise's voice coming to you from, from the corner of the tank. You might hear some singing. Uh, the lights will move slightly. You're kind of pushed around by your own intuition, um, by sound. And I think that's really important with Louise's work, having that more intimate and personal encounter. And you mentioned that she was part of the feminist reclaiming of women artists that we saw in the 1970s and 80s. She never identified with the word feminist. And I think she just she didn't like to put herself into that category. Uh, but it's undeniable that she you know, she impacted a whole generation of women and generations of women. And, you know, the feminist artists of the 70s were, were campaigning hard for representation of Louise. But she, you know, she drew a line between um, herself and the great kind of feminist anarchist Louise Michelle um, of the, the 19th century. And I always find that interesting, you know, her, her father's name was Louis and you know, we understand that she was called Louise um, you know, she was kind of, the kind of the son that the father never had at that moment in life. But she always drew that connection between Louise and Michelle. So she's very conscious of those, I think, those dialogues around 
um, female representation. She also described her mother as a, as a great feminist. You know, Josephine was the woman who ran the workshop at the, uh, the family's tapestry restoration atelier. It was a workshop made entirely of women. Josephine supported Louise's studies. You know, she, this line where she once said, you know, you shall not touch the needle. I think she wanted a different kind of future for her daughter. And I think, you know, those kind of foundational kind of experiences and viewing and working with women in the workshop, um, you know, they can't be, they can't be undersung. And it's something that I think a lot of artists still connect with, with Louise's work as someone who delved so deep, or perhaps deeper than anyone in turn into female subjectivity. I think it's what keeps her work so relevant. What I love about Louise in particular is that she's just, she's a character of light and dark. She was this, this fierce art grandmother, but she was also this character who was prickly, you know, her contemporaries described her as wicked. They said she could, she could frighten me. She liked making trouble. And I love that. You see that in the work, you see all of those sides, that warmth, that softness, but then that, that defensive side that I think is, is there in all of us. It's actually summed up in a beautiful work in the show called Breasts and Blade, where there's this fantastic kind of bronze side of the work with you know multiple breasts it's you know wonderful kind of curvature of the kind of landscape forms when you come around the, the backside and there's you know a bronze kind of knife that just kind of juts out you know ready ready to attack as as and if needed and um, it's a lovely image I think for the the many sides that we all have Louise Bourgeois, Has the Day Invaded the Night or Has the Night Invaded the Day, is on at the Art Gallery of New South Wales through 28 April 2024. Join us next time on the Infinite Women podcast, and remember, well-behaved women rarely make history.